Hey guys, Jim here. And I, I want to let you know, uh, please take a time. I, I know our podcast episodes are typically in the 30 to 40 minute range. This one, a little, like a few minutes longer, but uh, I want to encourage you to really pay attention. Um, there's a lot in this. And to matter of fact, we're going to have him back on and uh, we're going to continue the conversation again. Um, a, there's some incredibly valuable business lessons that you have to grab. They're really important to you, regardless of the stage, status, growth, or development of your company and where you are. And then two, they're just a human factor that's involved. And you'll see with with my guest here, with Steve, as he comes on, that he just he's a different kind of human, right? But he's, he's not extraordinary. He's just a human. He doesn't have special talents and gifts and radars. He just chose to dive into something that mattered to him. And there's a lot of learning and a lot of wisdom to be gained. So I encourage you to pay attention, um, take notes if you need, but, but just really dive in, sink into the value. And I'd love to hear back from you uh, at podcast at sales unscripted. Let us know what you think and how this impacts you and what, what kind of shifts and changes you get as a result. Right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you being here. Much love to you. Welcome to the sales unscripted podcast where it's not what you're saying, but who you're being while you're saying it that matters. Sales and scaling your business is what drives the engine here. So drop in, buckle up, and hold on, because we're about to shake up the sales game with the man behind the mic, Jim Padilla. Strickland, thanks again, as always, buddy. Appreciate the handoff. Jim Padilla here with Sales Unscripted, where it's not about what you're saying, but who you're being while you're saying it, that matters the most. And everything here is all about sales, scaling, and leverage. And as most of you know, we have a pretty heavy footprint. We've got a big sales team, and we provide a lot of outsourced services uh, for people who are scaling and people who are putting in big events. Anything that's a scale event, as we call it, is something that's going to provide a lot of sales activity in a short period of time, or it just might not make sense for you to hire a bunch of people, train them, for a small, small project and then let them go and we plug in powerfully and then we train and offer services based on all of the experiences we've gained as a result. And in the scaling game, when we talk about sales, scaling and leverage, there's a component of that that is, um, that is left out of the conversation. Most of this is we're talking about the front side of the mountain. We're talking about moving forward up the journey and doing generating revenue. You know, as a sales guy, I've always believed more sales solves all the problems. And we know that's just fundamentally not true, but it sure sounds good on paper and it feels good <laughs> and beat your chest and say, I made more money. It's a good uh, rallying cry. Amen. <laughs> so the, today we're going to have a conversation uh, around the other side of it, around what happens on the backside. Once you hit the summit, what happens on the backside of that mountain or as you're on the way to the next summit and the things that we may not be thinking about when we're trying to scale that business and the things that will help us immensely. And my next guest, he has sold, he's got a fascinating story, right? He sold his first company at age 15 for a significant six figure sum. Think about that. What were you doing at 15? Right. And since has led six of his own successful startups to private acquisitions of over a hundred million each. Um, there's a laundry list of other people who he has supported, which I'm not going to dive into too many of the names here right now. Um, but I just want to give you the over the rounded picture of what attracted me to Steve, who I met recently at an event and we've crossed paths a couple of times. My 
stepfather growing up was a millionaire. He had a net worth of, of multi-millions. But if you looked at him, he only his entire wardrobe outside of work was blue jeans and a t-shirt. He drove a 70, 1975 Chevy Scottsdale that he worked on himself. Uh, yet this guy was building heat-resistant tiles for the space shuttle going up into the moon. And you never would have guessed it by the Budweiser drinking, beer, beef jerky-eating lifestyle he lived that he was a millionaire. And when I saw Steve, I saw something similar. He saw, I mean, he's wearing jeans and a t-shirt, simple guy. He wasn't running around trying to make a scene of himself. You would never know the things that he's contributed to business and society based on how he positioned himself or, or showed up in a room. And I was very attracted to the authenticity and the humility in that. So uh, he's known as the activator with what he's able to do and help people scale. And uh, I don't want to go on too much longer because you tune in here because we want to hear him, not me. And uh, so, but I do want to uh, bring you on and, and say hello. Welcome to the show, Steve Little. Thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate that introduction. Very nice. Very much, man. And uh, he, you can find him at Twitter at, at Steve Little. So if you're uh, able to jump on right now and he says anything that, that you love, make sure you let him know. Give him an at and say thanks and uh, give some comment and let him know you came from the show. Thanks. So Steve, tell me a little bit about how this, how this came to be. How do you become a guy who is all about, um, especially having that kind of foresight at, at such a young age? How do yeah. you start seeing what's to come in the future and what do you need to do to plan for it? Gosh, you know, I wish I could see in the future. <laughs> That'd be pretty interesting. Um, and it's certainly, I have to say that I didn't have any idea of what was going to happen when I started that. It, it is sort of a fun story because it does actually illustrate one of the key learnings that I have used over and over again throughout my life. And it's the, it's the premise of all the coaching and recommendations that I make to the, the clients that I work with. And uh, that story was pretty simple. I mean, I was just like every other 13-year-old at the time. You know, I was, uh, my dad was trying to get stuff done around the house and I was underfoot and he finally said, why don't you go do something with yourself? Here, go cut the grass. Right, there's a lawnmower over there. You know how to run it. Go cut it. So I, so I went and started cutting the grass and, you know, 20 minutes later realized I don't like cutting the grass. So <laughs> I hired my neighbor kid to cut the grass and, you know, got that done. And then I did a couple of neighbor jobs and same kind of thing as like I, I would sell the job for eight bucks and pay the kid five bucks. I'd keep three bucks. That was a good way. And uh, that kept growing and going. And pretty soon I had, uh, you know, 15, 16 jobs that I did every week. And, and I always had somebody else doing the work. And I just got rode around on my bicycle and collected the checks. And, um, awesome. One day is sort of the turning point is one day it was a, uh, August in Pennsylvania, the grass doesn't really grow very quickly out on the main line there. And so I'd go up, you know, I'd, every week I'd go back to each house and say, hey, you know, Mrs. Jones, I'll come cut the grass Saturday. They'd say, hey, good, yeah, okay, good. Uh, but I started to hear, well, it's not really growing very fast. Why don't you give it two weeks and come back? You know, and That happened five times in one day. And I started thinking, well, that's like half my business. Right is not going to happen this week. That's not good. <laughs> right? So I came up with the idea of signing them on to uh, contracts, sort of a, there was a semi-annual and annual contract. And it was a flat monthly rate and I would cut their grass when it was, when it was that time of year in the winter, I'd shovel their walk. And if after a storm, I'd make sure I cleaned up their sticks and leaves, and rake the leaves in the fall. I just, my job was to keep their yard looking nice. I wasn't going to do any heavy landscaping. 
but just I'll keep it trimmed and groomed to look good, right? And everybody went for that, almost everybody. Only two people didn't sign on for that. And that, that what that did is it created predictability in my business. And while I couldn't have described this as a 15-year-old, what really happened was it freed me up to sell a lot more work. Yeah. So, you know, I could grow to 35 yards and then 100 yards, and I could just keep hiring people and keep buying equipment and keep pushing forward, right? And so it grew, and it grew aggressively because I had that recurring revenue going, uh, and I had lots of projects that uh, that I could manage. And uh, one day, my dad came home from work and said, hey, I've been transferred. We're moving. And I said, well, gee, Dad, what am I going to do with my business? <laughs> now, understand, he didn't know what my business was. He sent me off to go cut the grass one day, and then he didn't see much of me after that, right? And he said, well, I'm sure that people understand that you can't cut their yards anymore. I said, no, nah, Dad, I don't think you understand. So I, <laughs> I, at the time, I had all those contracts in one big loose-leaf notebook. Back then, I'm going to date myself a little bit as if you can't tell from the picture. There's those uh, canvas-covered uh, loose-leaf binders that you had in grade school. You could write on them. And I'd written in black magic marker on mine, Steve's big book of business, right? And in there were all the contracts and all the letters and Everything having to do with anything to do with any of my customers were in there. And so I give that to my dad, and he's leafing through it. He gets about halfway through, and he looks up. And you can see that he had this awakening. He finally he understood what he was looking at. He said, these are all your customers? I said, yeah. He goes, how many are in here? I said, hundred I think it was 118 at the time or something like that. He was like, my God, how much do you make? <laughs> Bring me your bank book. <laughs> so I went, you know, got my bank book, showed it to him. He said, man, this is, this is crazy. I never, I had no idea you were doing this. Long story short, I had him drive me into town. We met with a company there that um, was in the lawn care business. They had much broader, like a lawn doctor type operation. Right. And uh, they offered me 187000 for the contract. Right. And I uh, went out to the car and told my dad, hey, he offered me one hundred eighty seven thousand dollars. My dad was like, well, he did what? You know, because <laughs> that's more than I make in three years. Good night. Right? So they, they said, let's that's great. Let's celebrate. And I said, oh, no, no, no. Let's go drive down to the other place. See what that I would give for him. Right. So the second guy offered me a little more than that, um, almost two hundred fifty thousand. And we sold that business for that. But. The reason I like to tell that story and the significance of that story for your audience is that um, it taught me something about value drivers in a business. I mean, what on earth would make a kid's lawn care company worth that kind of money? A quarter of a million dollars yeah. for a 15-year-old. Well, it wasn't the equipment. It wasn't me. It wasn't my employees. It was the book of contracts because what the what the buyer understood is that with those contracts, he could now upsell them on fertilizer and other kinds of treatments and other types of services. So that book was probably worth millions of dollars to him. So he'd be more than happy to pay a quarter of a million dollars for that book, right? Because there was access to real money there. So that taught me a lesson. Now, again, I couldn't have articulated that the book was the value driver at that time, yeah. but years later, when I recognize that this is actually a pattern for me, in every business that I've built, I have found the key value driver. And I've learned that, look, if you don't know what the value drivers are, 
you don't know what to invest in. You don't know where to put your time and your money. For example, if you're running a business and the key value driver for your business is customer acquisition and customer retention, and you have the idea of building you know, a product, uh, some intellectual property, right? Well, if the intellectual property is not driving the value of the business, why are you gonna invest there? You wanna invest in the things that are driving value, right? And the way you find that out is you envision the acquisition scenario. So this is the relationship between value drivers and exit strategies, right? And so when I talk to people about exit strategies, a lot of business owners will say, hey, I'm not ready to sell yet. You know, don't talk to me about that. I'll say, look, I understand that you're not ready to sell right now. What I want you to understand is the exit strategy is not about the exit. It's about the strategy. By knowing it's just like a product, right? When you want to sell a product, how do you do it? You come up with a product concept. You go out to the market and you find out who would buy it. Why would they buy it? How much would they pay for it? Like that, right? Right. Used to be called a minimum viable uh, product, right? You deliver that, see if it works. If it works, then you go ahead and invest in it, right? Similar concept when you think about your business. If you were to sell your business today, who would be a prospective buyer and why would they buy it? And that's going to lead you to the value drivers for your business. So if you had one buyer that looked at the business and said, well, you know, we want to buy your business because we like your customer acquisition and retention model. You can get customers and keep them better than anybody else, let's say. And let's say we're willing to pay eight times earnings for that capability. You now know what your business is worth to that buyer. Well, there might be another buyer who's looking at your business and, you know, they may have lots of customers, right? So they may be thinking, well, we're not, customer acquisition is good, but it's not that important to us. We really want you know, your brand, right? Or we want your people or some other attribute of your business, right. right? And we're willing to pay, you know, 10 times earnings for that. So now you've learned a very important lesson about your business. Your customer acquisition capacity is worth eight times earnings. Your brand and your employee team, your team is worth 10 times earnings. So if you now had $100,000 to invest in your business, where would you invest it? Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's, you know, for me, so let me ask you this. You obviously got to keep your business survive. So priority number one has to be to make revenue and to, to be able to be profitable. Sure. sure. Um, and how do you make a strategy? How, how do you determine which one of the, obviously from a value perspective, but how do you determine where do you start? And based on, you know, um, people are hearing right now, they're saying, well, I, I don't know how to do this stuff. And you know, what's, where should I start right now with when I look at my business? Like, cause for yeah. me, we have, you know, our business model, we have, we have revenue that comes in up front. We have monthly retainer contracts for people that we provide service yeah. for. And I know yeah. that's a, that's a factor. It's a value driver. Sure. Um, and we have a, a large virtual team, you know, which has its own value, yeah. um, et cetera. But, um, but again, I'm also thinking of, you know, I didn't do that for long-term retention value. I thought right. I did that because I wanted multiple ways to make sure I can have revenue every month. Right. Right. <laughs> and out of necessity, right. I mean, there's, yeah. I mean, there is always that, I mean, let's, let's say, I mean, none of this is pristine. It's all done in the context of the day-to-day -day operation of your business. Right. Right. Um, and that makes it a little more complicated than it sounds philosophically, right? Um, but so 
here's the thing. There are three different areas uh, to look for these things. Uh, and understand that, you know, my business, we, we've, we've developed for over 40 years now uh, methodologies for identifying value enhancers and really helping the business owner leverage the value enhancers that are available to them. And they're unique for every business. And they're unique for every prospective buyer of every business. So, you know, we have this thing we talk about called valuation, which is a mathematical calculation, usually relating revenue and earnings to some industry multiple. That's an interesting number. It's a real number. It's an important number to know, but it's not the number that's the real value of your business, right? The way you determine that is we look, we, we typically look at three different things. We look at what are the things that exist in your business today that are constraining its value? And this can be all kinds of things. It could be, uh, you've heard of this before, you know, customers that really shouldn't be customers, yes. right? The, the customer that needs to be fired, right? They're a value constraint because they're dragging your business down, not just financially, but emotionally too. I mean, the people who have to deal with those bad customers have to deal with those bad customers. This doesn't make their day any better either, right? Yep. So that's a problem. So that, that creates animosity and negative energy in your business, right? So you want to get rid of that. That's an, sort of a weird example. It could be uh, contracts or standard operating procedures. If you've documented your SOPs, that's a value enhancer. If you haven't, that's a value constraint, you see? Got it. So you look for all those kinds of things. By the way, there's I'm going to give you a free guide for these, so you don't have to write them all down. But, you know, there's... We look at 55 different factors, just in the enhancement side, just in the constraint side, rather. Then you also look at your business through a different lens. Um, we use a, Socra a Socratic questioning technique, but you can do that for yourself as well. And what you're looking for are things that exist in the business that aren't being leveraged as value enhancers. Um, it might be a piece of technology that, that you use every day, but you don't leverage in the brand identity of your business. Here's a great example. We had a trucking company, um, good solid company. I like to say, hey, they had a Christmas party every year and everybody got vacations, right? So it's just a good company, healthy company, growing, you know, good marginal growth, you know, like that. Um, but the problem they had is in their region of the country, it was the Southwest, the value constraint there was a value constraint of 0.85 on their multiple. So they were, they were worth less than one times earnings. So after 12 years, you're owning a business that's not worth a year's worth of revenue. That's not a good feeling, no. <laughs> okay, right? So they called us in and we did our work. We did our assessment and did our valuation enhancement strategy. And what we found was that, that about 85% of their payload was uh, energy-related equipment, tanks and generators and energy stuff. Right. right? Uh, and they had actually invested money in having some software built specifically for them that provided them a logistics advantage in their region. So they could actually connect sellers and buyers, shippers and receivers more easily, more effectively, more efficiently, improve the efficiency of the business, deliver more timely. It was all good for them in the market, right? Um, and what we found, which was real key, 
was that while the trucking industry had a multiple of 0.85, the energy logistics industry had a multiple of 6.7. So we wow. just re, we just rebranded the company, right? We we literally changed the color of their trucks, changed their website. They're now an energy logistics company, not a trucking company. And we picked up 5.6 points on the, of those 6.7 points of value. And we sold the company for almost $70 million. Yeah. So it, it was That's a value it. enhancer available that wasn't being leveraged. Right. And there are things like that in every business. Whoa, my chair just broke. <laughs> but you don't know what they are. Right. So being able to find them and leverage them uh, is really the key there. You know, I, I want to, this is all fascinating for me because um, we, we've talked a bit. I, I watch as many shows on this as I can. Um, we're really fascinated here. We, we've had this conversation inside our company about how do we start running our company as if we're going to sell it right. um, because we, we, regardless of if we're going to sell it, um, right. because there are things we would do differently if we were coming from that perspective. Yeah. And, well, it's uh, fascinating you say that, Jim, because, you know, I, I, this happens to me frequently. People come up to me. They know about my history and so forth. They say, hey, I'm going to start a business. What's the first thing I should do? My answer is develop an exit strategy. And they're like, what? I mean, I haven't even started. I know. But the exit strategy is going to show you where the value drivers are. It's going to show you what to leverage in your business. It's going to show you how to make the decisions that you really can't make today. I mean, think about it. Every day, every business owner you know steps into their office and they have a million options. Yep. Do, I, do I do this or do I do that? And generally speaking, we can talk about all the different things they use to try to make the decision. But at the end of the day, it's that. I think I'm going to do that. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, how much better would it be to know with complete certainty? that if I invest here, I'm building more value. If I invest there, I'm not building value. I can still choose to invest there as long as I know that I'm not building value, right? That's a, that's a conscious decision and that's okay. But it's a big difference in terms of me managing my business, right? So yeah. I like to say it this way, you said something really important a minute ago. Um, every business owner should understand there is going to be an exit, right? I mean, it may be you plan to, to, you know, build it for the rest of your life, but you, you know, you, you might go public, you might sell it, or you may keel over dead at your desk. Regardless, there's going to be an exit and you right. want that asset to be worth as much as it could possibly be worth at that exit juncture. If you're building a business to get a paycheck, then my suggestion is you should get a job because it's a heck of a lot easier than building a business. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so those are some key points. And, and, uh, I think that when I approached this, I mean, I, I'd been retired for some time and was doing a lot of sort of ad hoc consulting. And what I realized is 99% of the business owners who called me didn't have an exit strategy, which is fine because they're not thinking about selling, but they worse is they didn't know what drove the value of their business. When I'd say, well, what drives the value of your business? What I would get back was something that sounded like a question. It sounded like, what do you mean? Like revenue and earnings? Profit? Is that what you mean? Right? right. And my response to that is, well, that's interesting. But I mean, this is something you really do need to know about your business. 
And if it was revenue and earnings, then explain Snapchat to me. Yeah. Explain Zappos to me. Yeah. I mean, why did Amazon pay a billion dollars for a company that didn't sell anything they couldn't sell and didn't have customers they didn't already have? <laughs> right? There was a reason. Yeah. Right? Now, it turns out in that case, it was the culture. Exactly. Right? But that was a key value driver that Amazon needed, probably uniquely. Right? I mean, that's exactly what Amazon needed and it's exactly what Zappos had, right? Right. So understanding this about your business is vital to the success of your business. It also makes it a lot easier to make a lot of really hard decisions and to know that you're driving the value of your asset. This is probably the single largest asset you're ever going to create, way more than your 401k account. Right. So, so are there, obviously I'm sure you've got a list uh, of what are, what are standard value drivers? Mm-hmm. What are, what are constraints? Um, I, I'm a firm believer in the 80, 20 rule and it applies mm-hmm. everywhere. And yep. what, what, how does that shape up in terms of value enhancers and, and constraints? I would assume most people listening to the show are probably more buried in constraints yep. than they are looking for value. So what are the yep. things we need to be seeing right now that they can change right away? It's totally true. I don't want to get too far in front of us, but I have a, a, a book called The Valuation Growth Playbook, which I'm going to offer to all of your people for free. Um, so that's where the list is. Right? So, you know, and it really covers a wide spectrum of things. Um, so there's, there's the things you could imagine, the financial constraints that, you know, everybody would go to first. There are operational constraints, things about, you know, um, do you have your procedures, your operating procedures documented thoroughly and so on and so forth? Are they accurate? Um, there's, I think I mentioned financial, but do you have, you know, financial controls in place? Do you have the rigor necessary to survive, you know, that part of the of the business and to really be able to know with precision where you are at any given time uh, financially with the business? You know, a lot of times, business are churning along and they're churning so much revenue through on a cash flow basis. They don't realize they're not making any money. Right. right? You know, and you really have to understand where that money's going and am I making money? Is there something I should turn off to make more? Or here's a big one. Um, something that, that business owners almost never think about on the front end is, is your business oriented on a mission? Now, it's interesting that, you know, I'm one of the only bankers in the industry that attaches a clear value enhancement to a client company by virtue of the mission that they're, that they're involved with. But if you have a mission and you're all your, everybody in your business is aligned with that mission. I mean, think about like Tom's shoes, right? Right. So Tom came up with the idea. He wanted to solve a shoe problem in you know, in uh, underprivileged areas or nations. And he came up with the idea, well, let's make inexpensive shoes such that we can sell a pair here and give a pair there, right? And that's the core of their business model. And now everything's grown around that core. And the reason people go to work there is because they believe in that mission, right? If they don't believe in the mission, they won't stay there. Right. So the people that are there are there because they want to be there. That improves retention improves uh increase improves the efficiency of recruiting improves the efficiency of dollars paid right people are more dedicated more committed they produce more right it's just it's a good thing all the way around for the health of the business and that's why that business is worth more money than a business that doesn't have that mission 
right? So I think that's one of the biggest ones that any business can look at is can we orient ourselves legitimately to a mission that we can share as a core value as a company. Now this isn't, you know, bolt a mission on the side of the business. Like you might remember a couple of years ago when Kentucky Fried Chicken decided to start putting pink ribbons on their box, right, for breast yeah. cancer. Well, something about putting a, you know, a pink ribbon on a box of carcinogens didn't didn't play right with the market. The, the market saw right through that, right? So they didn't get the mission-oriented bonus for that, right? Yes. Um, so there's just, there's so many of them, right? Um, and that's why I'm taking the time to sort of document them in that, uh, in that playbook. But yeah, um, that's great. Um, what's, what's the playbook again? It's called Evaluation Growth Playbook. Evaluation and, Growth Playbook. And I'm assuming you can get it on Amazon. Um, no, you can get that on my website for free. Okay, perfect. It's, uh, at, uh, I'll, let's go ahead and give it to you now. It's zerolimitsventures.com forward slash access. Great. Um, you get there. There's that playbook. There's a, a, about a one hour, might call it a training video. It's a video where I cover all the details behind what I'm describing here today. And there's also an opportunity to schedule an hour directly with me Perfect. Uh, on that page. Yeah. And that'll be, you'll, you'll find that at salesandscripted.com will be in the show notes. So if you, right. if you can't write that down right now, guys, just go to salesandscripted.com, click on the link there and it'll take you um, straight to his page and get the book. Highly recommend it. You may not be thinking about selling your business. Like you said, you may just be, you know, I, I, I use that illustration very intentionally in the beginning of this call about climbing up the front side of the mountain. When we're climbing up the mountain, it takes every ounce of energy just to push the boulder. And so yeah. you're not thinking about what happens on the backside. You're just trying to think of surviving the upside, yeah. but, but you need yeah. to be having this stuff in mind. I mean, uh, the thing that I like is, is what I'm hearing from, from Steve is we're definitely not a, an exitable company at this moment, but we're a lot further along than I thought we were, which is encouraging. Right, right. right. And, uh, but, but it's, it's something that we need to keep on the forefront. It can't just be something we talk about in a quarterly meeting. It has to be something that's got to be in the forefront. Yeah. And it's really not as hard as it sounds. I mean, obviously my opinion is once you, once you really make the decision to get into this, you ought to retain somebody. If it's not me, somebody else to actually do this analysis for you. That's a valuable thing to do. But between then and now, there's nothing wrong with asking yourself the question. I mean, you know, where are the value drivers of my business? You know, what do I consider something that's valuable that other people perhaps don't have? Right. Right. You know, competitive advantages, you know, of various kinds are value drivers. Right. Definitely. Um, so let me ask you this, because you are a pur purpose driven guy. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll encourage y'all to just to, to read his testimonial, check this out. We'll, we'll, we'll post more in the show notes because you got your hands in so many things and you've done so much and it's, it's really inspiring, but I, I can tell you're definitely a purpose and mission driven guy. So as an impact and purpose driven person, why does this, why does this matter for people? I mean, aside from, yeah, I can sell my business. Why does this matter to the world? Why does this matter to you? Yeah. Well, to me it's easy, right? So, um, you, you're right. Um, you know, and one of the interesting experiences at the summit where you and I met or when we came up with this um, is I listened to a lot of other presentations and I sort of felt badly because I haven't had this terrible experience that they were relaying. I, I've had a lot of great fortune and I've been very blessed. And at the same time, I realized that, oh, well, that's the point. 
the point is I've been blessed because of my giving nature. And, and I really want people to get that this is what, what I'm about and what I think entrepreneurs in general uh, really want to adopt is this nature of giving because really that's what's going to generate the success. I like to say it's not about what you're doing. It's about who you're being. And are you being a person Amen. who's going to generate the success necessary to accomplish whatever great purpose you have? For me, when I was five years old, it was the first time I heard the word philanthropy. And I thought, wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever thought. I want to be one of those. <laughs> right? I want to be able to just give, just to give, right? Yeah. Not expecting anything just because I believe in what's going on or what they're doing or, you know, like that. Um, so it just became a part of, of what I wanted and who I wanted to be. And so every chance I have, I be the person who would give, right? And what, I, what happens for me is I also be the person who gets growth and success, right? right? So, um, so I think that's important. For me now, it's about helping other entrepreneurs and business owners connect to their great purpose and help them understand how what they're doing is going to allow them to be the person that they want to be in the world. You know, when you think about it, you know, when I help somebody sell a company for 20 or $100 million, you know, they're going to get a big fat check. I mean, you don't go, right. you don't go to work the next day, okay? <laughs> right? And so my question of them is always, what are you going to do with it? What's the plan? And yeah. if you don't have a plan, let's develop a plan because you really do have to have a plan for what you're going to do with this. This is a great blessing. It's a great gift. Right. It's probably the single largest financial event any individual will have is the sale of a business, one or more businesses. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, having them walk through. Well, you know, I like to say, look, when you started your business, you started it for a reason. Right? if you didn't have that reason, you'd have a job because a job is easier than running a business. That's just a fact. Okay? Right. <laughs> right. So you didn't build the business for the income. You built the business for another reason. Right. What happens is most people lose touch with that reason over the years going up the mountain. Right. This Absolutely. is a challenge. They're pushing the rock, pushing the all they know is they got to push the rock. Right? right. They lose sight of the fact that they wanted to house the homeless in Haiti or they wanted to help clean up the ocean or they wanted to, you know, take care of the homeless in New York or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and most of us adopt an attitude where we think something has to happen first. Like we have to achieve this before we can actually give that. And what I want to encourage your audience to know is that no, 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 give now. And that, and that will source the achievement. Be the person who you want to show up as, right? So I don't know if you want your name on a building or if you just want to, you know, I mean, you mentioned it. I don't really wear this outside. I, I don't talk a lot about my own giving. Um, I talk more about helping other people understand the need for it, right? Yeah. That it's really the source of your success, right? So if you want success, be the person who's going to have that success. If you, totally. you know, you want to, I don't know, if you want a mansion, then be a person who'd have a mansion, right? Right. And in the process, you're going to learn that giving is the way you're going to get. That man, exactly. right, or whatever the case might be. You know, my, my wife and I have been in this discussion for a while because we we've been blessed enough to have a very successful, you know, we were we're in a lot of revenue 
comparatively to the average yeah. person. Sure. And, um, and we use it as a giving muscle. Yeah. Christians, you know, we, we give through the church, we give in the community, we yeah. take care of people. Um, but there's still a component. It's like we give as a result of, we give, we give and it, we earn as a result and then we give out of the earnings. But what sure. we're really striving to do is how do we actually build the business and structure the business so that actual function of the business is the giving. Is the giving. Yes. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? When you reach that breakthrough, yeah. really incredible. And, you know, now there's a whole, there's just a massive network of businesses that are built that way, right? right. They're, you know, evolved enterprises is one description, uh, conscious capitalists, uh, you know, uh, mission oriented business. Those are sort of three vernaculars right. for that. But right. yeah, isn't it an amazing thing? I was, yeah. just, uh, I was just reading an article. I have a meeting with this person uh, in the next couple of weeks. She's a very, very successful entrepreneur, runs a, a network of uh, sustainable data centers, huh. right? So they're massive data centers, but it's all sustainable energy. Wow. Right? So you think about it. I mean, you look at the data centers that, you know, I don't know, out there in the Bay Area or out here in D.C., those things are burning up tons of, tons of electricity. Sure. Imagine being able to fuel it with sustainable energy, right? Yeah. So it's things like that are exciting because yeah. we're now seeing whole networks of investors that will only invest in companies like that. Right. Right. And they're seeing, we're all watching uh, the millennials and the Gen Zers come up and they will only work for companies that are doing that. Right. Right. So, you, you know, know and that's always, something to think about too, because I, I, I have personal friends, I'm sure you do um, that are struggling to get a replacement workforce. They, you know, I've got a friend who's got a commercial contract, a construction company with, you know, hundreds of, of labor force. Yeah. And he's trying to hang on the guys who are 70 because he can't find any 25 <laughs> year old guys who want That's to right. hammer. That's right. Yeah. But if they had a mission, if they had some other reason for that guy to be there, he'd be there. Right. It's, yeah. it's really fascinating to watch. And it's, it is a trend that's going to impact a lot of businesses around the world, but in particular in this country. Right, because it's just not something that's been in our vernacular. Even today, we can be at sustainability conferences or mission-oriented uh, business conferences, and eat, the investors in the room are still debating giving versus margin. Giving, margin. Margin, giving. Hmm. You know, because the fact of the matter is, if you're giving, then you're going to reduce margin. I mean, it's, money's got to come somewhere, right? Exactly. So what's really more important? Well, what we do is we help those people understand that, well, okay, so your marginal profits are going to go down. They're not going to go away. I'm not saying, you know, be a zero profit company. Okay, you go from 28% to 26%, right? Something like that. You give 2% up, right, in, in capital to some cause, right? That's a substantial sum of money, a $100 million company. That's a couple million dollars. That's a substantial amount of money, right? Right. But what they're not seeing is the net effect on the value of the $100 million company is a thousand times the giving. Right. They're making themselves a $150 million company by giving up $2 million profit, right? Exactly. That makes a lot of sense, okay? <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's, that study is well documented. That's, that's been done. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. We could talk about this all day. I'm very fascinated by this whole topic. Um, again, you know, 
um, we're very much in alignment with, you know, it's not about what you're saying or doing. It's about who you're being while you're saying it. That's, that, that's, that's on the letterhead around here. Fantastic. That's what we believe. And, you know, kind of at our core is like, yeah, we, we sell, we deliver products, we help other people sell products, but it's really about helping people be at their best, the best version of themselves. Yeah. And, so think how you can do that. You can push that into the organizations you support, right? Right. Incredible. Incredibly powerful. Yeah. And, um, you know, and just a, a side note, it is something we're actually our next project that we're building into. Um, I, I serve at, uh, at Folsom prison in, in uh, yeah. California here. So I go in and I serve the inmates and largely because I just, you know, I, I, I feel I, I could have been one. I could have been. And, um, sure. and what I'm, what I've learned over my time of serving there is that these guys, you know, there's a 76% recidivism rate, which means they come out and they go back in when they're in the guys who want to rehab, they have so much programming and support. They're going to classes every day, drug rehab, counseling, financial planning, the Bible study stuff that we work with them on. They come out into the world and they don't have that. None of that's there. Fascinating, right? What we're doing is we're, I'm really feeling we're, we're working on putting a project together that is designed for ex-cons to teach them how to sell. We'll put a phone center together for them to be able to sell, make money, have a purpose, have income, have a project that's self-funded, doesn't require grants because it's a sales company. And as part of the community, you know, they'll work 32 hours a week. And then the other eight hours a week, we put them in programming so that they're getting drug rehab, counseling, everything that they need so they can feel supported and less likely to go and and go back. Keep going. Right. No, that's fantastic. Wow. That's such a thrill. That's exciting. You know, so that's, yeah. that's something that's in, 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 uh, it, the vision is still materializing, you know, but, but yeah. I see that that's how I feel like that becomes now the business itself becomes the giving muscle. Yeah. You know, there's a conference coming up right in the Bay area that you want to attend. It's coming up and it's called the mission oriented. Something other. Sorry. I'll send it to you. Okay. But yeah. I appreciate that. Definitely want to be there. I'm going to fly out for it. Okay. Uh, great really uh it's a great conference i think you'll get a lot out of it and, and that's a message that really it's a unique approach to a really significant problem that isn't being attacked and that's the fascinating thing about this jim is there are so many issues that a properly oriented business can help address we usually we, we usually think well that recidivism problem is a government problem well it's not it's a human problem exactly <laughs> you know? yeah Awesome. Well, I, I know there's so much uh, value and, and purpose on this. I'd love to continue this conversation. We'll definitely have to have you back on. I'll be happy to do it. Uh, you know, guys, go be sure you check them out at zerolimitventures.com forward slash access. We'll get you to the book. And again, all of that information is at salesandscripted.com in the show notes. Make sure you dive in and, uh, and reach out and have a conversation with Steve and, and see what can make sense, even if it's just getting some more insight and information. Everything I've gotten about him um, here on this call and in our contact, he's just he's a really good guy and he cares and wants to help. So give him an opportunity to help. And, Thank uh, you, brother. Yeah, totally appreciate you, man. Uh, we're going to we're gonna bounce from here. Um, so, uh, so I was just going to say sales and scripted. Uh, Strickland, <laughs> take them away, man. Show them what they need to do from here. And until, until we see you guys again, go out, change some lives, do business and life on your terms and go make a ton of money. All right, Jim, I'll show them where to go from here, man. Look, if you love what you're hearing, here's a great way to get more. You can get a free month's access to our awesome drop-in coaching group. 
All you got to do is subscribe, rate, and review the show and share it. Then head over to salesunscripted.com forward slash get more to get your free month of drop-in coaching with Jim as our thank you. We'll see you next time on Sales Unscripted.